Did you know that elders and others are losing their rights to liberty and property? Anyone can petition a court to have a person deemed incapacitated. What if that person is you? The adult guardianship system was created to protect incompetent people and their assets. A court-appointed guardian, sometimes a total stranger, can force you into a nursing home and sell your home to pay for services. Treasured belongings can disappear as you are drugged and isolated from loved ones. Why does this happen? Unfortunately, the courts don't have the funding to supervise and audit cases. A guardian makes all decisions decisions on your behalf, taking control of your assets with little accountability. The potential for abuse is frightening. Luckily, not all guardians exploit those under their care, but when they do, there's really nowhere to go for help. The National Association to Stop Guardian Abuse, NASGA, is working to reform adult guardianship to return it to its once noble purpose of protecting the human rights to life, liberty, and property and ending financial exploitation of assets. Are you or your loved ones protected? To learn more, visit StopGuardianAbuse.org. Good evening, everyone. This is Marty Oakley. It is December 1st, 2021, and we are still battling the same things we've been battling since I've been involved in this issue of guardianship for the last 14 years. In that promo that played, they said not all guardians are bad. I have asked for 14 years, bring one forward that isn't, just one. I have yet to get the name of that person. I'm talking about these professional predators that troll the probate courts, work with them routinely, um, and build a business trafficking elderly or maybe disabled human beings for profit. Um, that, that The judiciary, that our elected officials allow this system to keep operating is absolutely disgusting. I don't know how many elected officials we have contacted over the years, plus hundreds of other people have done the same thing with these horror stories and rights violations and the absolute corruption of what they call probate um, is just absolutely enough to bring the vomit up in your throat. These people will lie to you. They will tell you they never heard of such a thing, why it must be an isolated incident. Um well, I'm going to look into that, and I'll, I'll get back to you. No, they're not. They know exactly what's going on. So what we have seen, particularly over the last two years, is a proliferation of bills, both state and some on the federal level, that are supposed to address the human trafficking, the estate theft, the torture and torment of an elderly individual trapped in this system with no way out. And these bills do nothing, nothing to make people safe. What they do is in the recent one that just came out, the Chris bill creates more agencies, um, gives funding and grants to these special groups that are going to be looking into this. Uh, no, they're not. All you've done is funded the system to keep it running. Nothing is cited as a crime, uh, not isolation, not the trauma-based bonding, not, not any of it. The neglect, the abuse, the theft of the estate, none of it is addressed in any of these bills. The most insidious part of them being the predator is forcing the intended prey to pay for the attack on them. The, the estate of the person they're trying to capture is tapped to pay the expenses of the attacker. Now, who came up with that dismal idea? The reason I believe we run into so much trouble, both federally and state, is too many of our politicians are themselves lawyers. 
And you can tell in reading these bills, this wasn't some average Joe that wrote it. These are very specific, although convoluted and full of gibberish. They are very specific, and they protect the predators. And these people are predators. Tonight, Peggy Dupreed returns. And she's going to be talking about the USA Guardianship Task Force. And this is not a state-centered task force. This is on the federal level. She has a lot to tell you. Get your pen and paper together if you want to make notes. The show, of course, will be available in archive. You can listen to it as many times as you like. And with that, how are you doing this evening? We're doing great. Thank you, Marty, for having U.S. Guardianship Task Force on tonight. We have a lot of information to go over to the victims and families, and we hope that uh, this information will be able to uh, get resolution to their uh, fraudulent guardianship, stolen estate, uh, elderly abuse, their parents being taken, their children being taken away. What I do, Marty, is I work on the uh, federal and state administration reform guardianship lobbyist level. Uh, our business telephone number is uh, 828-980-3467. We will be providing an email in the next few weeks, and uh, we'll be having surveys, and it will be a private confidential to the victims. We will not discuss their names, their case numbers, the judges involved, the attorneys involved, to keep it confidential to protect the work. Okay, we will be going over some things in this uh, uh, preliminary uh, draft that I have wrote. Now, this will change as, the, as I get more statistics and I do my research. I will be altering to fit these victims' uh, profiles. So this is just a preliminary of some of the victims that's already called me in, and I've been drafting it as I'm getting these phone calls in. And here we're, we're going to start. Okay. For the viewers out there, we're going to be looking for, we're going to ask you to fill out in the next few weeks information on a complaint form and assistance on issues in your case relative to adult guardianship, foster care, adoptions, and guardianship cases, petitions for appointment for an emergency guardian, a guardian examining committee evaluations, protective placements by Department of Children and Family Services, guardian ad litem services, agencies with persons with disability services in Florida, Smoky Mountain Health and Rehabilitation Service in North Carolina, a domestic relation court order, child support programs that you waive your rights in guardianship proceedings of family law. Did a process service serve your notice of a guardianship hearing in your case? Did the court file it on its own motion to remove you as a guardian? Did the court open its own guardianship case or in the ward? Marshman Act, Florida Involuntary Drug Treatment Program, was the victim the ward, did they violate the ADA Act institution the ward in this? Did you file a police report of crimes committed in your guardianship case? Did law enforcement investigate your complaint and provide you with a case number and receipt of your evidence provided to them? Did law enforcement tell you they could not investigate due to this was a civil action? Did you file a complaint with your local senator? Did the senator write a legislation guardianship Senate bill that provides the states with more control over the ward and less protection to the ward and family members. Okay, were you manipulated to file guardianship for your loved ones in order to keep them uh, home by attorney under duress? Was the guardianship case marked confidential or concealed by the court? Hang on one second. I have to move up my my slide. Did you file a complaint against a judge in a guardianship proceeding? Did the Judicial Qualification Commission what did they do? 
Did the judicial qualification commission set a hearing on your complaint or dismiss your complaint without a hearing? Did you file a complaint with the governor in your state? Did they set an appointment to hear your complaint? Did the governor office respond back to your complaint? Did you file a complaint with the Department of Justice? Did the DOJ send you a letter approving your complaint to proceed on with lit- litigations in a federal and state violate of a federal and state violation committed and your guardianship case? Who we are? Okay, we were established in 2019, the U.S. Guardianship Task Force. Lobbyists is the federal and state administration reform is led by Peggy Dupree and Betty Gosnell. Our headquarters is located in Rutherford, North Carolina, and we are advocating for seniors, dependents, adults being exploited, neglected, abused by the legal judicial system, criminals and civils in equity court in the probate and guardianship proceedings. Perfect crime. This description refers refers to a judicial system that preys on the elderly, non-disabled, disabled adults, and is determined to deem them unable to care for themselves or family members. It is a system that allows the state agencies to control, to take full advantage of the ward, equals prisoners of that state, legally and under the watchful eyes of the judges that the judicial immunities without a jury trial. It is called a guardianship in the support decision-making. Imagine a system of justice in this country that strips its citizens of the federal constitutional rights and the Bill of Rights. Families' inheritance voids their existing legal documents. Violation of parents' rights to their child. No jury trials, no due process, no substance due process. Given the state the right to own the ward, the right to spend their money and to sell their assets. Isolate the ward from the family, cremate the ward's remains, and allow the guardian state to dispose the remains as they see fit. Please note, we are a guardianship lobbyist administration reform firm. We can help with questions like uh, how do you uh, petition legislation regarding guardianship misconduct by the above state agencies. Please note, before you provide us with any information, please consult a licensed probate guardianship attorney in your state. We're going to have a survey, and we want to listen to other victims tonight call in. And I'm going to see if I've missed anything in this uh, complaint process to help the victims. And then I'm going to take all this information I'm gathering, and then I'm going to write a legislation to, on a federal, federal level. Now, what I need to make it go and get approved through the Congress is I need 100,000 signatures. So they're not, I'm, I'm looking for volunteers. I'm looking for victims that want to be participate in this federal reform. Now, when they come in and they sign this uh, complaint form, everything is non-disclosure, which means our company, our firm, is not a whistleblower. We will not take your information that you provide and sell it or use it. We're strictly to advocate for you in a federal level. You can consult with your attorney. They can review everything that we're doing. And if you're in litigation, we'll discuss it with your attorney, what we can use and what we can't use to protect you and get you remedies to federal levels. So this is what we're doing tonight. Uh, we're looking for callers to call in. Please don't give your name, the state you're in, any confirm, uh, any anything about the judges, lawyers, I don't need. I just need a little bit of how the state policies, regulations violated your rights or the ward's rights. Peggy? Yes, I'm here. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, you just dropped off there. 
um, the the idea behind all of this is to be able to write legislation that will be beneficial to the families and these uh, soon-to-be wards. Uh, you know, as we've talked, well, we've talked about all of this stuff. It just the idea that this corrupt system runs in full view of both state and federal legislators, governors, Department of Justice, the whole nine yards, and nobody will give it the time of day other than to put out these bogus bills that make the system work. I go ahead. Our company is to abolish the guardianship and to support decision-making, okay? And I can go into a little bit later in another uh, show what I think would help the, the families and protect them to keep them out of the courts and keep their assets and their loved ones with them. The courts have no business infringing on their federal constitution rights. Their states, it's the families, and the wards, not the states. So we do not see how any reform is going to help when we see these judges and these attorneys and these public officials writing legislations to harm the people, to give them more power over the wards, cremate their bodies. I mean, it's so uh, sickening what they're doing to the wards. The families don't get notified. They don't have to notify the families. And with these new decision-making, Britney Spears uh, got so much uh, attention Regarding her guardianship case, it reached thousands of people, and they started talking about it. So Washington, D.C. knew that they had a problem, and they had to act fast to keep the public quiet and calm. So what they came up with, these attorneys through the legislation, they come up with what's called a support decision-making plan. Now, they have these contractors you're going to have to sign, which is called statutory forms that you have to fill out. And what they're doing is they're not telling uh, they have these forms that they're passing out right now, but it hasn't uh, went through until January. But when these forms get finalized, what it's going to do is it's going to waive if a public official or attorney or a guardian appointed to that support decision-making steals your assets, you can't file a police, police report. You can't sue the state you live in. You can't sue that person because you're waiving all your rights. They're manipulating these people to get on board with this new uh, scheme they got going on called the sport decision-making to trick the public. And I'm here to expose what's really taking place and to stop it before people get caught up in it and they lose uh, their estates or their loved ones. So we're going to be asking a lot of questions to the victims, uh, you know, about did they feel – did they fill a complaint with the senator? They have to answer that. Shortly after you filed your complaint with the senator, did the senator write a new guardianship legislation Senate bill to allow the public official misconduct to be justified? We need them to answer that. Uh, did you file a criminal complaint with the FBI agent? You have to answer yes or no. Did the FBI provide you with a case number? Did you provide evidence to the FBI state federal fel- uh, felony uh, offenses like kidnapping or murder case with the person murdered under a guardianship? Uh, we'll need information, but not tonight on the show. Everything that we're going to have will be secured on a, um, our website for the, uh, the clients to come in and participate in this data research that we are going to be taking to uh, Congress on a federal level. Uh, this is all about public misconduct. It's not about any family members, about who petitioned. We're not concerned about that. What we're trying to do is, is see how – 
these guardian, fraudulent guardianships are being able to continue. And the only way they're able to continue is through public officials committing these to allow these uh, attorneys' misconduct to go under the radar. Uh, did the public uh, officials in the guardianship case uh, – oh, hang on, let me pull this back up. I went too fast on the screen. Let's see. It says, did you provide evidence to the FBI – uh, state federal felony offense violated by public uh, officials on guard, guardianship case. Um, did the FBI provide Attorney General a complaint, a probable cause to open an investigation against a public official that violated state and federal level statutes, offenses in a guardianship case? Did you file your complaint with the district attorney's office? Please list name and state. You won't do that tonight. You'll do that on our website. Did the district attorney office file charges with the state prosecutor of the state federal offense violated in the guardianship case? List law enforcement's name. Did the law enforcement send a referral to the FBI? These are very important information that I need in order to tune into a pattern of misconduct these public officials are getting by with, and they're waiving immunity. So when you file a complaint with a judicial uh Judicial qualification, it gets under the radar. They do not send it to the governor for executive order to remove that judge's misconduct. So these are. this may not seem like it's important, but these are critical questions in order for me to get these cases on a federal level to show how these public officials are violating the wards and families, uh, not only federal rights, but federal statutes, uh, federal crimes are committing under these guardianships and getting by with it. Uh, did the Attorney General approve the FBI to invest the state and federal? A lot of people, Marty, on your show know about this process, but some of your new viewers tonight may not know this stuff. So I'm going over a little bit of it. That's okay. New, uh, uh, did the DCS, CPS, DYFS, DSH, CPS not provide evidence through discovery to opposing attorney prior before entering evidence in a guardianship court proceedings? When I'm reading this stuff off, I want the viewers to think about what happened in their case so I can write data in tonight, or if they want to call and do it privately, we can do that as well in order for me to be able to write uh, proposed uh, legislation on a, a federal level to abolish this. I have to prove that I have victims, Marty, a thousand uh-huh. victims. I have to prove that. I have to have these okay. victims. I have to have a percentage go with me to uh, the hearings to participate and why they need to abolish these programs. So this is why it's important that people listen in, and if they want to participate, protect their assets, this is the place to be tonight. Okay. Okay, uh, Did the Attorney General approve the FBI to investigate offense violated, kidnapping, murder, uh, rape charges, uh, over-medicated? There's a lot of offenses I'll be adding into this. Okay. Did the judge deny the plaintiff objections to retain an expert to evaluate evidence entered by the DCF prior before the judge institutionalized the ward violating the ADA Act of the ward civil rights? Did the, official, did, the, did the Office of Criminal Conflict and Civil Regional Counsel that is appointed by the judge in the guardianship proceeding to represent the ward, did he or she not raise a collateral attack to object to admissible evidence entered by DCF CPS that did not provide this evidence for discovery prior before guardianship court proceedings to the plaintiff's attorney. Did the plaintiff of the ward get served by a process server a notice to petition for a writ of habeas corpus or red, red, redress? 
Agrivians forms the nearest facilities in the Baker Act court order. Attach it the words Baker Act court order was there an ex parte court order sent to the plaintiff's attorney for the nearest receiving facility in the Baker Act court order. It could mean hospital too, not just a mental facility. Did the judge do a health proxy court order without providing a court order or notifying the plaintiff of the ward or the ward's legal documents of this notice to petition for involuntary placement? Did the judge do ex parte communication with the opposing attorney without your attorney being present? Your health advance directory, was it denied by the judge? Was your power of attorney denied by the judge? Did the judge ask you, do you still follow your child support court order? Now, I want to, this is concerning children under the age of 18, Marty. Uh, what these judges are doing is they're trying to trick the parents, uh, is get as many, as soon as they turn 18, into these guardianships. So when you go in, they always take you through the child support court. Uh, and they'll say, to, the judge will say, okay, are you still following your court order? Most people will say, well, the child's going to be 18. The answer is no. You don't want to say that. You always want to say yes, and the reason you want to say yes is you have to stay under the family laws in order to get a jury trial. Once you say no, then they automatically put you into the guardianship laws. You lose all your rights. So that's important to remember. Did you waive your rights in the guardianship proceeding in a family law? And you want to say, no, you're not waiving your rights. It's very important to say for use. This only pertains to use. Okay. Okay, that is the summary of the guardianship case that we're working on. And now we, we want to take uh, calls in, and I want to listen to uh, what each uh, victim or uh, family member experienced for these guardianship courts to see what I need to add in in order to, for me to start work on, on a legislation level reform to abolish these guardianships. I know it's we don't have any. In. Yeah, we don't. We don't have any callers just yet. I think we will have okay. in the next ten minutes. Okay, so go okay, ahead, so Peggy. We can go ahead and continue talking then. Okay. Yes. We want to talk. These bills that will be coming in in January, and one of the bills in Florida will be Senate Bill 1010. They re, they're going to revise it, and, it's, and then I'll be able to start posting that in January, where it would say this is a statutory uh, statutory consent form that you need to fill out. Okay, they're trying to say now that, that the guardianships are going to be abolished, Marty, okay? And, uh -huh. and some of the administration courts are saying, okay, we're going to abolish these, these uh, guardianships, but then we're going to make these people do these support decision-making plans. And a lot of their proposals right now is to waive any liability uh, working with these clients and stuff. And my first question is, okay, if they're disabled, how can they consent to fill this form out? Okay, they're disabled. The first thing they've done into the legislation is violated the ADA Act, okay? Uh, they should not, number one, have to be mandatory to sign this into law. They should, this, is, this is a contract through their state that they live in that they have to do. This, is, this should be illegal, I feel. Just because you might have had a stroke or you might have had a heart attack, uh, elderly I'm talking about, or need just a little bit of assistance, I don't feel that they should force someone in to sign a contract and then turn around after that person has signed that contract and say, okay, if we steal your money or if, we, if you're killed under our care, you're waiving all liability. How is that protecting the ward? It's not. Well, and that is why Peggy, I feel it needs to be abolished. 
okay, the thing is, the only way that you would be in that situation is if they were trying to determine you to be incompetent. And if you're incompetent, you can't sign any anything. You lose your legal agency, your right to contract on any level. And so this whole thing would be void from the get-go. No, they're rewriting it, and they're making it statutory law <laughs> instead of common law in order to get that passed, Marty. Oh, my God. Okay. And, and that's what people need to understand, the difference between the statutory laws and the administration laws and the common laws, and they come up with a clever way to bypass that. So that's, that, that's the first thing I thought about, too, is how can they sign this if they're already incompetent right. to contract. You know, but th- this is what mm-hmm. they're doing, and this is why they're calling a statutory uh, consent form. Okay. Because you're agreeing through the legislation body that you were obeyed by their statutory laws. And then it's Instead up to of the, the common law. Laws. Yeah. So now, then what happens after you agree to the statutory laws, you're giving the administration, uh, the judge will then take in the administration law, and I think that's very uh, uh, dangerous. So I'm going to be challenging it because I feel this is very dangerous to put these words in this. So I'm going to be uh, challenging the administration laws uh, because I feel like this is setting the ward up completely before they go in. They're going to liquidate their states, and then after they liquidate their states, they're going to be able to start using federal funding and milking, milking, and milking millions of dollars off of one ward, Marty. It is unbelievable what these public officials are getting by with, and they need to be stopped. And the only way we can stop them is through this process that me and Betty is going to be doing through the federal level. And uh, besides, we'll be talking here in a few weeks about that new Senate bill in Florida. And every other week, we're going to be talking about every state. It's not just one particular state we're going to be talking about. We're going to try to cover them all in the next few weeks because it's important that everyone understands they're going to lose their rights, their estates, their inheritance. This, You know, families need to stay out of court. If you have a dispute, you need to keep it at your home and resolve it because everyone's going to lose. The government is going to seize your, pro- your, your assets, and they're going to come out winning, and you're not. So we all need wow. to stop going to the courts and trying to resolve our issues with our, within ourselves. Now, Washington, D.C. administration courts is recommending to Congress to support decision-making plans for a statutory contract which I just went over basically with Florida where they are wanting the, the, the I call the word the prisoner, because basically the governor of each state, they own the bond to the, the, the ward, which is a, a prisoner of that state. It's, anyone can check right. this and verify this is true. So what is happening is they're taking these wards and, and holding bonds on them, and through this uh, statutory contract that they're going to be filling out, they're going to be waiving all of their inheritance, basically, once they fill this out. And uh, I don't see how they – we need to contest this. And this is one of the things I'm going to be fighting to, to uh, overturn uh, to protect the people with disabilities and the elderly, wow. too, because, you know, uh, it's exploiting, abusing, and, and doing this. What really gets me is I used to be a DCF worker. And I did not mm-hmm. believe in some of the things they were doing. I believe in helping families, not dividing families. Everyone needs right. a little help once in a while. Okay, uh, 
DCS is turning into a money machine. They no longer want to help the families, but they want to divide the families and make money off of them. And these DCS workers make big bonuses. I didn't do that, so I got out of that because I'm not going to have no part of harming other families. So I just, I just wouldn't do the, wouldn't be a social worker anymore. Um, you know, they're making lots of money. They're falsifying documents, which I, I don't do, I won't do. Uh, I believe in helping. When you're a social worker, you're supposed to help, not harm. And these DCF workers today can get by with perjury. They can lie. They can falsify things. They can forge documents. And the judge, you, if you object to all these, uh, these uh, fraudulent documents being entered in, the judge doesn't do anything. And what is happening with this new law that got passed, Marty, is now um, Department of Justice signed policies with all the states. Every 52 states have this policy in place now where DCF is overall guardianship making. Now, and now they are protected under dis- non-disclosure and confidential. So now what they just passed, the governor um, in Florida, Ron DeSantis, just passed is now he's allowing law enforcement to investigate DCF. So it's a conflict of interest. When you go and you file a police report of a ward being harmed mentally, physically, or any other way, the police is not going to do anything because they're on DCF payroll. I think that's a conflict of interest, and they needed to fund them from receiving grants. They should never allow them to be affiliated with DCF, and I have a problem wow. with that. So now when we start the new year of 2022, now we're going to we have law enforcement working with DCF. They're going to be doing all the investigations. And, the, and then the, the problem with that is you will never see the police report, okay, because it, it falls under DCF non-disclosure and confidential. And so it's going to be a one-sided system where the state is going to every time win. You will lose every time guaranteed and the courts will win. They set it up to make sure they they've waived all liabilities and and they have the proper agencies in place to protect each other. Okay, Peggy, you've got a caller. Hang on okay. here. Uh, area code seven seven three. You're live and on the air with Peggy. Hello. Good evening. Yes. Good evening. This is good Aldona Kumpin. Oh. Okay. Good evening. This is Aldona Kumpin. Yes. Uh-huh. Yes, I Go am a victim of guardianship abuse. Mm-hmm. Do you want well, to tell us a little bit without naming any names what happened? Yes, my mom died uh, in uh, December 2020. Uh, uh, everything started when my my mom. It was July. Uh, I'm sorry, June. Uh, Second, 2020, my mom went to first hospital. Uh, four days later, I went pick my mom uh, out, and at home I saw it that my mom was had different name on her wrist. So that was beginning of the of the problem. So I called hospital, and they told me that my mom was mixed up with another patient. Uh, mm-hmm. Then in 11 days, I took my mom to Chicago, which is four hours away where I live. That's where my mom's doctor is. Mm-hmm. So same day, my mom ended up in the second hospital. 
which we didn't bring my mom to same hospital where she was because it's four hours drive plus my siblings are in Chicago, so we dropped my mom in Chicago in hospital. And uh, mom was there 17 days. In the 17 days, everything started going wrong with mom. Uh, uh-huh. So we, after 17 days, we decided to pull it out, mom, uh, because mom went walking and talking to hospital. She had only scabs on her uh, leg and hand. Uh, that's why she went back, uh, and 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 we just, you know, we just couldn't believe what's going on. So after 17 days, we went by hospital. We waited three hours. They didn't uh, release mom. They said she's weak. So eventually, mom arrived home um, July 3rd, 2020, uh, by ambulance, and. Uh, so mom said a few words, and uh, it was 10 p.m. when she she arrived. Mom was swollen uh, like balloon, and in 10 hours with my brother, we're calling ambulance because mom is dying. So uh, another hospital came, took my mom, and they discovered in uh, uh, in third uh, hospital what was wrong with mom. So mom had sepsis. Uh, I, I believe brain damage, toxicity, poisoning, and uh, bed sores. Oh then in five days, uh, mom got guardian, and she's moved uh, to the nursing home. And we like, what kind of guardian? What are you talking about? Uh, in hospital, we asked them for papers. We didn't get proper papers why mom is taken away. Uh, they called security uh, in hospital. Mom was asking go home. Uh, we couldn't take my mom home. Uh, month later, being in facility, so they moved my mom against the family, against uh, my mom. Uh, my mom got five children. Uh, she never mm-hmm. was alone. Uh, she always had care. And uh, my mom was begging us on my knees to take me home. Or maybe this Friday I will go home. Uh, we couldn't do it. We hired a lawyer, and for six months, we couldn't get my mom out. They were playing games with us. Uh, They said no adult protective service uh, papers. Uh, They couldn't couldn't make a judgment. So it took six uh, months. Eventually, on the day that my mom died... uh, uh, they said, uh, my law, our lawyer, guardian lawyer said, oh, have a report arrived. And I said, yeah, today. Mm-hmm. Another thing, uh, when we were talking with guardian lawyer, uh, we, were, we, we said, oh, we will explain to judge uh, what's going on. And, and lawyer said, but who she's going to believe, you or a doctor? Uh, so I think... In this point, I was thinking, wow, we're probably in trouble because uh, we figure out, like, they're not going to believe us. They will. So in court, we had a few court cases, and mom was over. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm kind of. Um, You're doing fine. Uh, uh, so in. Also, in one month when my mom was in the nursing home, after one month, they broke my mom's hip. Uh, they, uh, my mom was constantly complaining, I'm hungry, I'm thirsty, 
Uh, we couldn't communicate with mom. She was sleeping, busy, nurse is busy. Uh, we have even phone call that they, they told us, don't call us, you have a guardian. Then in court, uh, we couldn't get mom out. Uh, uh, I, I think everything was set up from the front. Uh, and they knew my mom will not come out alive, only we didn't know. Uh, also, at, uh, attorney at Latham, whatever was done in the hospital, they, they, she said, they brought mom to hospital, they did this, they did this. We didn't do it. Mom was not under our care. Mom was only 10 hours in the house, but in, uh, we have papers that ma mom was under hospital care. Uh, and we figure out, because they mixed up my mom with another patient in first hospital. In second hospital, they, they neglect my mom very badly. In third one, Everything come out what they did, and uh, I think the uh, hospital put guardian on my mom to protect themselves. That's exactly what they did. That's a question. Now, um, did the attorney request DCF records for you? No, uh, because we had two lawyers. Uh, in the meantime, when we had guardian lawyer, uh, we, we found the abuse lawyer, he wanted to jump in on the case, but he couldn't. We waited to remove the guardian. Uh, then uh, he checked our case, and he said the guardian the attorney that I was paying her money, she didn't do anything. Then judge, uh, also we said, judge, what mom can even speak. She's so over-medicated. And judge said, oh, we will take a look at this. My mom was at home on two pills for high blood pressure. She ended up on 19 pills. And everything, it's morphine, Tylenol, uh, Seroquel, uh, different kinds that I don't even know. So my mom was so over-medicated that she couldn't speak. She only said, hello, uh, uh, Aldonka, and uh, she, she, she couldn't hold the phone. Then judge kind of played like, oh, we will take a look uh, what's going on, but they never did. They then judge said, uh, at the end, or oh, even when my mom, my mom survived hospital hospice, and doctors were coming to us and uh, uh, us and asking, what would, what did we do that uh, my our mom improved? Uh, what we were giving her eat? Uh, another think that in every hospital they were telling us that mom got swallowing problem then on the hospice they took away all the medicine my mom didn't have swallowing problem uh, my mom had uh, dinner order they ordered dinners uh, by hospitals so we were feeding mom my mom was eating by mouth but uh, but when she broke hip, they over-medicate my mom so badly that later my mom stopped eating and they put feeding tube in my mom. Uh, I think they were making money on my mom uh, on every angle. I need to know and something to protect your, your case. First, I need to know, did you file a lawsuit? Uh, we have a lawyer that yes, he he's suing right now, uh, okay. so nursing for the death and broken. Okay, so he's in litigation, which is great because you are within statute of limitation. Uh, I would advise you not to give out any evidence to anyone 
make sure that the attorney that you're working with, you have uh, signed a retainer agreement. That way he can't disclose any evidence to anybody else to do a whistleblower. Make sure of that. That's very critical. Uh, make sure the attorney requests the DCF records, the police reports, and the hospital records. It's very important that you start looking at this to make sure that he is doing his job. Because I'm not saying this is a bad attorney, but there is attorneys that if the state is liable, they can turn the case. You understand what I'm saying by dismissing it? So um, I would call, I would give you some pointers to look at and uh, to protect you and your family. You can call us. I, um, I gave the number, and if you need the number again, Marty can provide it at the end of the show. Because it sounds like your mother got over-medicated. It sounds like the hospital caused the injuries. And it could have been, like I was talking to you before uh, and, and showing some of the questionnaires I was asking, is uh, did, it's called a third party, okay? Whenever a hospital contracts with the, uh, the, the, the county they're working with, that doctor's under a contract. So what happened is they put your mother in a guardianship to cover up the liability that this doctor caused to protect the hospital. Okay, it's very important that you watch the statutes of what this attorney is doing to protect yourself. We will use your case if you allow us to, but we will not take any evidence because you're in litigation to protect it. I'll give you pointers, and I'm going to also be uh, posting pointers to protect people's cases so they don't lose their case. You, have you know what? I think I will... Case. Yes, but I think I would like to speak with you uh, of the show uh, to 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 get more help from you uh, because two days ago I was speaking with lawyer which I don't want to discuss uh, what I was talking yeah. with with uh, with him but I think I will need uh, more help from someone who knows more. Okay, okay. glad to help. All right, so um, Peggy, we have another caller here. Okay. Um, area code 804. You're live and on the air. Hi. Hello. Okay. Hi, can you hear me? Yes. Yes. Okay. Just making sure it wasn't on mute. I'm in Richmond, Virginia. So you want me to just start and briefly tell you? Yes, I'm writing as we're talking. Oh, okay. Typing down some things. Basically, it started four years ago with my sister. I won't get into that, but that's just as heavy as the guardian. And she's equally as responsible. <clears throat> um, my sister filed for uh, guardianship over my parents. Well, we were full siblings, but I've been the closest with my parents, and she's a sociopath. So she filed for guardianship April 24th of 2019. Um, well, let me back up. I'm sorry. It, it all started actually because it started with the family conflict. Um, there were multiple durable powers of attorney. I had the original one, which my dad was competent, and then she went and got another one, and then she also got herself put on their account. So there's a lot of illegal things on you know the back burner, not just the guardian. But that's how we got in, in, in this mess. February 26th of 2018, she put, she kidnapped my parents and brought them to assisted living. And they had been trying to, they were begging me and her, you know, to 
for them to go back home. And she was trying to do everything to make me look like I was the bad one. I was exploiting money while she was. And um, so because we both had durable powers of attorney, she had managed to, I guess, I don't know, I think she was paying the lady, at the administrator at a, uh, assisted living, um, because she, she wouldn't allow me to see my parents if I was there. Um, she would tell me I'd have to leave. It was a protective order. My sister would lie and say it was a protective order. So that went on for a year. I would try to go after five, so I knew the lady wasn't there. Um, so APS got involved because, well, my sister had called. I had called. The, there was an ombudsman that did not do anything. Uh, 14 months for us to even meet. 14 months after I contacted him, we, we had a care plan meeting, and I was the only one there. And my parents have never attended a care plan meeting. They've never had their voice heard with me there. You know, they've never been to court. Um, and my dad, the thing is, I have both, I have documentation where he, when he was inside and they did a cognitive test on him, the facility doctor said he was, uh, he was deemed incompetent. However, a few days later, that same week, he got a, he got a test with Jewish Family Services, and they said he suffered from mild cognitive. Um, that was it. And they even said they didn't test my mother because they just said she was incompetent because she was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, and she was more with it than my dad. So neither one was oh, incompetent. So they basically what happened was um, – APS, well, my sister filed back to April 24, 2019. She filed for guardianship because we both had durables. And even though hers were forged, and I can prove it, she uh, went ahead and non-suited it. And I, don't, I didn't understand why she did that at the time. But the guardian at litem that was involved at, in April in 2019 recommended the guardian that became the guardian full-time and conservator for both my parents. Um, so then I had a lawyer, and I got him during that summer of uh, 2019 to get, to get ready for the October 2019 um, hearing. And um, that was continued. And what, that was continued to January 9th. No, October 4th, that was uh, the temporary guardian was a man. Well, I don't know if I've seen any, but anyways, she was the person that was the permanent guardian was a temporary guardian. Um, and one thing I can't understand is why she was billing and double billing is sending the invoices to my lawyer when she wasn't even supposed to be working in the summer, you know, before October 2019. Um, but then... The court was continued January 9th, and then again March 12th of last year, 12-20. Um, and because of the feud, they went ahead and uh, appointed her as a permanent guardian and conservator for both of my parents. And she herself is an attorney. Um, after she became appointed, you know, she's started, you know, saying that she wanted to get the, the, the house sold, this and that. I also noticed that she was appointed March of last year, and the day after, actually, they started with the restrictions. 
So it's been a difficult time to not, you know, whether I was blocked from going there, blocked from calling, because my sister blocked the number for a year and a half. And every time I changed the number, my my brother-in-law's a computer hacker. And that's where I've been trying to tell everybody. He hacked into security camera in SunTrust, but they won't do anything. Um, so anyways, uh, she was telling us, me and my sister, that she would be putting the house up for sale. You know, and I tried to tell her there was a will my sister had taken. She had taken everything back in 2017 my, when my dad had a, a mini stroke. And um, then, this is actually so much. After she mentioned that she would sell the house, I because my goal was to always try to get them back home. So from... She gave me May 29th of last year. She gave me one day to come and get all my stuff because I had lost my house and trying to pay for my dad's VA house because my sister had all the money and she was letting it go into foreclosure. And all my stuff was at my parents' house. And I actually overslept, and she said she would not reschedule and that she would not give me the key. So everything stayed in my parents' house, my stuff too, thousands of dollars worth of my stuff, not to mention just the sentimental things, baby books, diaries, my parents' stuff. From May, June, July, August, September, September 4th, she said that I could start bidding on them at Cannon's auction. And it was on, and that I, you know, and so I wrote her a cease and desist letter. And um, I, she almost, the, the way that she wrote the email was like she was being sarcastic, and she said, you know, this is what I can do. Go ahead and look at the online auctions every week. Let me know if you see something that you think is yours by Friday at 4 p.m., and then I will ask Clyde, and if it is yours, you have to pick it up by Monday. And I had to do that every week. And I noticed that I most of the stuff, I would say over 90% of the stuff, was never auctioned off. But even a year later, even earlier this year, I saw it at different places, Goodwill, um, West End Antiques, and I'm like, oh, my God, that's mine. You know, uh, she also put on her inventory, which is, I didn't even, she never gave me anything, nothing. My sister gave me a copy of the inventory a few months ago, the first one, and she put that my parents only owned Five, up to $500 worth of stuff in the house. And that's so she wouldn't have to itemize it. All the jewelry, the antiques. I mean, we're talking hundreds. You know, we're talking a lot of money here. You know, they've been married 60 years. So, you know, she's completely fraudulent. But anyways, a couple of months after she became guardian and after she sold the house, well, it's September 4th, she started with the auction um, of last year. So around that time... August, September, my mom had a delirium episode, and she started being more groggy and everything and not being herself. And I complained, and, you know, et cetera. And then in October, November of last year, things really were – my mom has dark brown eyes, and her she has pinpointed pupils. And I'm a mental health counselor. I know narcotics. I, I know that, you know, I know I work with people, and I, I just know that drugs and everything and I try to tell everybody that she's being drugged she's over you know she's being over drugged and she's not even supposed to be taking it wasn't on her med list and that I didn't get until a couple of months ago and I only got one coffee um and it had to go through the guardian which didn't make any sense because she's a lawyer not a doctor 
Um, so when nobody listened to me, then on October 20th, excuse me, November 20th of last year, I called and it, I was on the phone for about 30 minutes and my dad was trying to get my mother to have a conversation with me, but she was so drugged up. She was like in a stupor. She was sitting at the end of the bed looking down and I called the facility and I said, you're killing my mother. What are you giving her? And later on that night, they did end up bringing her to the ER because she, her legs gave out is what they said. And she got a lot of fluids, and the next day she was back to being herself. Um, and I have that. I have all the recordings. And then, but nothing was, I even uh, filed uh, with APS for both of my parents. And I, gosh, I filed because of bruises on November 7th, November 5th, multiple fallings. She broke her hip. She broke her tailbone. She's legally blind. My dad, and, and I just noticed it not, not too long ago, that all the scars he has from all the falls where he should have had stitches and at the nursing home. So there's just a lot of parties involved here, not just the guardian. And um, since then, back then after this year, April 15th, um, my, something happened between April, the night of April 14th and April 15th. I saw my mother and father April 12th. My mother was, as usual, you know, drugged, and I had been complaining about that. I've got tons of pictures that show it. And she would fall asleep while eating or whatever, but I even showed that I had no problem eating her. And then she had a small bruise. Well, she had a knot and a slight faded bruise on her right hand, um, not hands, her right side of her um, face, her uh, well, top of her head, forehead. And, and I took a picture of that. I also notified the nurse because during dinner, which was April 12th, my mother threw up, and she didn't feel right. And they said they may take her to the emergency. And they never got back with me. I had no idea what happened. They wouldn't tell me. I mean, the guardian didn't tell me. Three days later, I get a phone call. She was rushed to the emergency, and all her vital signs were fine. It was a mystery. They don't know what's wrong with her. She's just not coming out. They couldn't rouse her. They couldn't wake her up in the morning. Kind of like when she was in the stupor, you know, and I knew it was narcotics. And then when I saw her, it was automatically, oh, she's being poisoned. I mean, the body, you know, reacted. It was stiff, and then it was jerk. And then she would make these facial features, and she couldn't, she was unconscious. Her, she had all the symptoms of narcotic overdose. I talked to the doctor. I told him to do the drug screening, toxicity test. He said he would, but then he talked to the guardian, and that was never done. I still have her hair samples, but I, I don't have any money. Oh, this is me of everything. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Are I'm listening. I'm already figuring out how they were able to commit the fraud. Go ahead. Oh. Okay. And uh, so basically, um, she went into. So we were joked around. Uh, me, and my sister. You know, saying she's. In, we're going to put her in hospice. She's not in hospice. You know. I thought she was in hospice for like a month and a half, even though I tried to fight it, and I find out she wasn't in hospice. So I'm getting, trying to get the doctor for Medicare fraud and everything else. Um, but anyhow, she, from April 15th until May 4th, she stayed at a, like a rehab, and I went and visited. But then my, my, uh, there was a reduction, actually, which started around the time that she was overdosed, visiting both my parents. 
And I was also told I was being watched. I mean, I I have the uh, picture of uh, the chair that was outside my parent my my mother's uh, room because I moved in for two weeks. I I I was there, and I couldn't close the door either. Amanda Amanda had actually texted me and said, "Do not close the door." You know, and I'm like, "Well, you know, I'm talking to my clients on the phone. It's not like I'm closing the door all the time. You know, don't close the door. You know." Um, then she moved to, uh, from the hospital, she moved to the rehab, manor care, which is one of the worst. And I was given, it was very inconsistent. There were times that I was there for a few hours and I fed her and she, could un- she understood everything. She just couldn't verbalize. She couldn't put it, but she was getting better. She even tried to get out of her wheelchair and asked me if, she could, if I could take her home. And the last time I saw her, um, we were being watched. We had 15 minutes, and I, you know, I told her, I said, you know, I'm going to try to come here as soon as I can, you know, this and that. And then the guardian had me arrested for saying that I threatened her on Facebook, which I didn't, and she was stalking my Facebook since June. And um, while I was in jail three weeks, wait, you know, I, I mean, I, I was released on the cognizance, but I was waiting for a GPS thing. And uh, I was released August 26th, and I didn't know that my mother had passed August 22nd. Um, Sorry to hear that. Yeah, and, you know, and, and the thing is that my sister's very involved with the other side because she's been receiving since at least March of this year $9,500, my dad's pension and benefits. And she could have, I got the letter, she could have used it for drug testing, care, anything, you know, and she didn't spend a penny. And I actually think that she had a lot to do with their demise. I mean, my mom's demise. And my mom's rent, quote, unquote, was like $5,500 a month, and my dad's is barely over 1000 He's a VA veteran. Um, also, there are a lot of circumstantial things, I mean, facts that I have. Um, but one, she had an autopsy, um, and nobody's gotten back to me. And when I contacted the autopsy place, they said that um, they, I think they would let me know or I would have to go through my sister because she's the one that paid. And I found out not too long ago, maybe eight weeks or so, seven, eight weeks after the autopsy, that the doctor at the facility because they, they did bring her back with my dad. They moved into a different facility August 5th so they could be together because I forgot to mention they had put a feeding tube in my mother. And um, so they were together, back together, you know, from August 5th until August 22nd. And, and actually, I was arrested August 5th. Um, there was something I needed to say that was important. Um, but when she passed, Oh, yes, the doctor at the facility, at new, this new place. She signed the death certificate and listed the cause of death as CVA, which is stroke, CVA, and dementia. And I know 1,000% she did not have a stroke or dementia. And my sister's so stupid that she tried to plant that thought in my head when my mother was still alive. And she said, yeah, she said, poor mom, she's in a wheelchair, you know, and, 
and she can't talk, but that's because she had a stroke. And I'm thinking she hasn't been able to talk, and she hasn't been able, she's been in the wheelchair since the overdose, you know? And if she's still alive now, how can you say she died of a stroke, you know? So, and I've been trying to get a hold of the doctor, and she hasn't responded back. And I took pictures. Now, I saw my mother. I went to the uh, funeral home, and they had her body frozen eight days. But I took pictures, not of her face, but uh, of her body and where her tube was. And it's obvious that she had some type of infection, for starters. She, it was a, a lot of redness. And she had bruising on her upper left hand, uh, upper left side of her chest. And she probably didn't weigh 50 pounds. I wrapped my whole index finger and thumb around her bicep. And I remember when I was next to her, I'm like, what is this hard thing? It was her hip. And I thought, oh, my God. You know, I said, they starved her to death. And they drugged her. I have no idea how she died. I have no idea. And they said that she died at 510. And she should have been eating at that time. So somebody should have been there. And my dad, he's still in memory care. And he has no caregiver. Nobody, he has no phone. He has no TV. And I've asked my sister, her. she has not texted me back. I said, well, can you please spend the money to get a caretaker like you said you would now that Amanda's not, you know, now that she's transferring the case over. Um, so that's where we're at. I don't have a lawyer, but... Um, it's okay, taking everything. Well, you, have a case. you do have a case. Yeah. And I can tell you where you went wrong, Gap, and I can tell you how they were able to strip your rights, but I don't want to get into what you could do next okay. on the phone. We can coach you because we're advocates to the right direction. Okay. Now, uh, the question I have is when you was doing the DCF care plan, did you sign documents with them? Yes. And I also continue to sign documents at the uh, hospital. They let me sign documents at the hospital for my mother. Okay, I know you don't know this because I used to work at DCF. Uh, What they did was once you signed that care plan, that stripped you of all your rights, and that that is how they were able to do the protective order, uh, giving uh, giving the judge uh, authority to uh, have a guardian uh, over your mother. Well, my sister was signed. This was like towards the end, though. I only did it at the care plan meeting, which was like 14 months later. And and I noted on there, and I kept the coffee, that I that this is just until she is re- released and something else. Okay. Uh, a tip. Never my sign sister had anything signed. with DCF. Never, ever okay. sign anything because I, when I you sign that, yeah. It, well, I don't know. DCF, family um, services, right? Department of Social Services? The same. They just are named okay. differently. But when you sign these contracts, basically, you're giving them authority and you're admitting to some type of abuse. Get the report and it'll, and it'll detail why they uh, was able to take your rights away. The, the judge just can't strip you away. And this is one of the tricks DCF plays with uh, families if they get one party to sign this uh, uh, care plan and they don't understand because they know that they're not 
uh, harming their loved ones or parents or their child. So they'll go ahead, okay, I want to prove that I'm a good parent or I'm a good son. They go ahead and sign it and say, look, you know, I just want my parents back. But what they don't understand is, is manipulation with uh, the services they're doing is in order for them to get jurisdiction over your mother, they have to prove one of the family members abused the family in order to get involved in a case. Now they, yeah, and my sister was trying to prove, well, I didn't, I know she did, um, but be, because there was so much hatred, I guess, animosity between us, that's, that's how they worded it, you know, that they had a third neutral party get involved. Okay, Peggy, we, we have on. got another caller on, and we've got less than a half hour left. Do okay. you want to go ahead? With- go ahead and give us a call, and we can uh, help you if you're interested. Yes, I am, and I'll get the number, I guess, from Betty, okay? That sounds great. Look forward to talking to you. Okay. Thanks. Now, uh, thank you for calling. Yes, uh, you're welcome. Area code 940, you're live and on the air with Peggy. Hello. Hi, Peggy, guys? and hi, Marty. Thank you all for taking uh, my call. I appreciate it. Yes. Okay, so my story is a little bit different than the other two callers and that my situation is a um, a disabled child that started back in 2004 from a vaccine, a proven vaccine injury and was a, um, in 2010, there was a federal tort claim that I won uh, for injury my husband and I were both named as permanent guardians at that time. And our daughter at the time, because of the entitlement, was labeled a ward of the state in order to get the entitlement for vaccine injury. I questioned that by our litigating attorney, and I was told that if I didn't sign and if I didn't accept that, I could always appeal it, but he would assure me that I would not win. So in order to receive the entitlement for vaccine injury, I was forced to sign a document that stated my daughter awarded the state claiming her as a ward, claiming her entitlement as a ward. Okay, in was that a private hospital? Was that a private I'm hospital sorry? or state hospital? I need to find out, was that a state hospital or private hospital? Where did the child get the vaccination at? It was actually a physician that was in a, um, uh, what do you call it? When it? It was a hospital, but it was a private physician clinic in a hospital that was owned by multiple investors. I understand. Okay. 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 I'm listening. Okay, so from 2010 to 2017, and I I will disclose, I have worked in the medical system. So I was aware, sort of, of what was happening, but really couldn't do anything about it if I wanted the funds. So I took the funds and thought, I'm going to rehab, and that's what I did. I took the funds and was rehabbing and didn't think there would be a problem, except I was tooling right along until 2017, when my spouse decided that he was going to family abduct our daughter with his mother and take her to a different state. Filed for a divorce 19 months later without my knowledge. He went no contact, had no idea where my daughter was. No one responded to me. 
um, until I received a, uh, a, a summons for dissolution of marriage in January of 2019. I could not afford an attorney because I had been a stay-at-home mom taking care of my disabled daughter, rehabbing her, and taking her to therapy and doctors to make her better. She was walking. She was talking. She was walking with a walker and quad cane, and she was making a lot of progress. She had been discontinued from all of her her medications that she was on because she didn't present symptoms that she needed all those medications. After being served this summons for um, uh, the dissolution of marriage, the um, that there was a there was a hearing set for mediation, and then I sent in uh, as a pro se. I sent in my information and filed different documents that I needed to file to the court to state my side of what had transpired and that it was in fact showing that it should have been classified as a PKPA and UCCJEA. It was interstate uh, kidnapping. I do have several case numbers from the state of origin that were never resolved. They're all well documented. And I also have several case numbers from the state that they ended up at. And of course, after 16 months, or sorry, after six months of living in that state, she was automatically labeled as a resident of the state, regardless of how it happened. So during the first hearing for the dissolution of marriage, my daughter was made a ward of the state by the judge. I have the court document to prove it. And in addition to that, my husband was given not questions. My information was never taken into consideration, no medical records, no nothing. The professional witness was the doctor that I had been primary um, contact for and had worked with since our daughter was 18 months old and she would be 13 when she was kidnapped. So she was 15 when this first hearing happened. And so the judge, the attorneys, no one would even acknowledge anything that I had sent in to the court. Um, they um, went through the hearing. The judge gave my former husband, he gave him full custody that labeled our daughter a ward. So then I tried to um, get an attorney. I got an attorney that because I didn't have any money, this attorney um, was representing me pro bono. This attorney asked for my daughter's guardianship papers at her structured guardianship. I was named as a co-permanent guardian with my husband as a co-permanent guardian since the guardianship was established. And the guardianship was established in a third state because that was our original primary address. So when I got this attorney to represent me, she got the guardianship papers and she stopped communicating with me. And I felt like something was going on, but I couldn't really figure out what was going on. And 
the next thing that I knew, she was telling me that she could look at the papers, that she wasn't licensed in that state. Maybe she could give me some pointers. And she was in the state currently where my daughter was taken to. And that maybe she could help, you know, with that aspect of it. But she did not. 26 days prior to the custody modification hearing, my attorney withdrew from my case, citing um, that it was uh, irreconcilable differences with no reason. There was a 15-minute hearing, and there was the judge would not allow me to present my side at all, no evidence, no nothing, and it was decided by the judge that she could drop and withdraw from the case, even though it was going to harm, it was going to harm the case either way, whether she stayed on or whether she left, it was harming the case. Okay. Then I received, a few months later, I received the first notice for a guardianship hearing in a different county. Now, this, this first hearing that happened with the custody case actually happened in one county in Florida, and it was not where my former husband and daughters were at. They had never lived there. So the guardianship case was then moved to a, it was in a different county where they actually resided at. Now, my husband lived with his mother, and his mother had my children at her home, and I know this to be true because it's on their, his, it's actually on his UCCJEA declaration that my daughters were living with his mother and with him at her address during the time that he was no contact with me and I didn't know where my daughters were at. So the first guardianship case that happened, I filed additional documents stating that my daughter had been family abducted and kidnapped, interstate kidnapped, and had filed all of the documents and the evidence to go with that, with all the case numbers. Once again, nothing hit the docket. I filed for e-file immediately in the first case. So I did have access to e-file. I could see the docket, but I couldn't access any documents on either court records. I couldn't access in family court. I could not access in guardianship or in probate, rather. And so the first hearing with the guardianship, um, it was a hearing that I do have witnesses to that, have, that are providing affidavits. And uh, I had two witnesses to that hearing. And with that hearing, the judge... Literally, it was on Zoom. The judge cut me off, would not allow me to speak. He put me in the waiting room. When I was asked if I wanted to speak, he would put me in the waiting room. And then he would act as though I was being disconnected, but I wasn't. I was actually looking down at my Zoom, and I was being muted. And so the people that were witnessing for me, thought that I was losing internet connection, but I wasn't. And so they, um, they have written affidavits to that effect. That hearing I was given notification for by my former husband's attorney who was representing him and my daughter. I responded and 
I responded to that in time and to that opposing counsel and to the judge and to my former husband. What happened when the hearing came up is that there was a different attorney that I had never been served by. So imagine sitting in a hearing and I hear this woman's name as the judge is talking to her, and it isn't the same attorney. So I start speaking this when I'm asked to speak on the record that I was never served by this attorney. Children were family abducted. They were interstate kidnapped, and that I had proof of that, which is a federal crime, but the judge ignored me as he did it, as the other judge did in the first case. So I continued to get cut off. And I found out that this was a different attorney who, in fact, had never served me. But yet, at the end of the hearing, I was allowed to come back in. The judge proceeded telling the attorney how things were going to go. So he told her that there would be a Florida State guardian appointed, a Florida State advocate appointed, and a Florida State power of attorney for my then daughter, who was 17 years old. So we get to that, and then we have the next guardianship hearing, which I was served by email, not by the e-file, but by a private email from the same attorney who just happened to show up at the first guardianship hearing. And she came on and sent me an email that there would be a hearing the next day. I said, you aren't properly serving me. I need to be served so that I can respond. And she didn't reply to me. But I knew that I needed to show up at the hearing, so I had another witness to show up at the hearing. At this hearing, which I have, I have an ADA advocate who showed up at this hearing as the first guardianship hearing. And we both showed up at the hearing, even though I was not allowed to do anything. And... I had explained to the judge, and by the way, at all three of these hearings, there was never any sworn to an oath. There was no telling the truth or anything. These were all informal Zoom hearings that were held in private offices. There was nothing formality about it. I was denied a court reporter. Um when I asked about using a court reporter, I was told by the judge that I would not be able to receive a reporter because there were no reporters in his room that I would need a motion for it. And I said, fine, I will send a motion for it. And he says, you can send me a motion if you'd like. But he says, I'm going to deny it. I was denied a continuance because of the hearings and not being properly served so that I didn't have time to adequately respond or be able to respond at all, you know, with anything. And each hearing I spoke that I, that my children were abducted and that they had been interested kidnapped and was never acknowledged by any of the judges, never acknowledged by any of the attorneys to that respect. So the third hearing I explained this to the judge that I was never properly served, and I could tell that the judge, as well as the opposing counsel, seemed to be very uncomfortable about that. 
so what they did was they they reconfigured everything and all of a sudden says, well, it looks like we don't have everything together today, so let's reschedule this and we'll schedule it for another time. So that was taken off of the record. And there was a hearing that was scheduled, um, I think it was 30 days out, I can't remember. But anyway, I guess that then that was going to be my response, that, that notice, I still wasn't properly served, but that was my notice for the next hearing. So my advocate and I both showed up for that hearing via Zoom, and it was my advocate and I, it was the judge, and the opposing counsel that was representing my former husband. I was told that um, there was a power of attorney that would be showing up as well for this hearing on the Zoom. So we waited about 15 or 20 minutes, and apparently this opposing counsel was saying that she was getting phone contacts and phone calls from the power of attorney. He was having problems trying to sign into the Zoom hearing. And after about 30 minutes or so, the judge is saying, well, we're either going to have to reschedule or, you know, something else is going to have to happen because we're, you know, we're wasting people's times. I really don't want to reschedule because it's going to mess up what we've already started. And I thought, well, that sounds kind of odd. What have we started here? You know, so I said, well, could you clarify that, please? I'm a little confused by that. And she never responded to me. So then um, apparently this power of attorney is contacting the judge, and the judge speaks on the record that she will have her personal assistant to contact the power of attorney to help him get signed into Zoom. So she, the judge offers personal contact and personal attorney that's supposedly representing my daughter. I had no idea that she already had a power of attorney that was already representing her. But apparently the day before this hearing, they had just decided that they were going to assign this power of attorney regardless of the hearing. He had already made decisions for her that day before. Once this power of attorney finally got signed into the Zoom with the help of this, this assistant for the judge and all this personal attention from the judge, he got signed on and he's laughing. And he's laughing hysterically. And, and everybody's trying to figure out why he's laughing and saying, you know, we need to get, the judge is saying we need to get started. And she's kind of chuckling. And he says, well, he says, I, you know, I, he made a comment to the effect of, um, he was sorry. He apologized that he couldn't sign in, and he was talking about how, you know, how you hear about all of these attorneys that become alcoholics. And he says, "Well, I'm at the bar." And he said, and the judge says, "Well, you know, you're at the bar. I'm making, trying to make it sound like he was at the Florida bar doing business." And he says, "No, I'm just at the bar two blocks down the street." But I had a hard time signing in, and I know exactly why there's so many attorneys that are alcoholics. And he was laughing about it. This was on record. So I have a drunk attorney 
power of attorney that had just been appointed the day before to make decisions, legal decisions, for my daughter that's disabled. That hearing was left with, okay, you have made your statement. I was allowed to make my statement at that hearing. Nothing was acknowledged that I said. I stated the same thing in all three hearings. And the judge made the comment, well, the time is up. We really need to wrap this up. And, we, you know, we have a state-appointed guardian, whom I have no idea who it is. We have a state-appointed advocate, have no idea who that is. We have this joint power of attorney who I have no idea who that was because his, he never stated his name on the record. I requested his name on the record, and it was never given to me. He never gave it to me when I crossed. Uh, I cross-examined him. He never gave it to me. And in addition, I asked him on the record, sir, are you drunk? Are you inebriated? Are you drunk? Have you been drinking? And he never answered. The judge literally laughed at me and said, you can call his office. And I said, good. What is his name and his phone number for the record? Oh, you can call his office and ask him anything that you want to. And she disconnected the Zoom. It has been almost five years. A child that I won a vaccine entitlement for, I was her primary caregiver, her primary caretaker. I made all of her medical decisions. I contacted every attorney. I have been her advocate through everything. I slept in cribs with her in ICU for over 10 years. It was seven years of critical trauma care and then at 10 years, I spent seven years alone in federal court preparing a case that my documentation, my journal, my care planner won alone. A federal team of attorneys hired a professional witness from Labonner's Children's Hospital that testified in my case that there was no doubt in his mind how accurate my information was and my documentation to win my daughter's case to prove causation. So I proved causation with what had happened, got her my, the entitlement, and cared for her to get her rehab. Since 2017 of May, I have been completely discarded from my daughter's life. This was all, it was all planned. It was all orchestrated. I have proof of everything. As documented evidence, I have multiple layers in the, in the first state of origin. I have multiple layers in the second state of origin from many government agencies, state agencies, all being federally and privately funded that I can prove without a doubt have part in this. I've been eliminated from her life. I've been removed as a permanent guardian. I get two 30-minute supervised phone calls every single week to talk, with this, to talk with a child that is being pawned off in the school system in worthless therapy that's not doing her any good, physical therapy that's never worked for her. She's a complete invalid in a wheelchair, can do nothing for herself. She has a caregiver who is literally making me a monster to her, and she testified this in court. 
Okay, I, we just, I don't I mean to interrupt you, but yeah. we've only yeah. got about a minute and a half left here. Um, yeah. Peggy, did you want to finish up, and we'll uh, yeah, have to shut I would, this down? Yeah, I that you call us tomorrow. You have our business telephone number. I could tell you why you lost, and I could tell you how you can uh, regain it back. Uh, I have two questions. Uh, when was the final court order done? That's very critical. Yeah, the final court date was um, June, let's see, July, September of this year, September of 2021. Okay, you know you have a case. Yes. Okay, now, did you file an appeal? I haven't done anything with that yet. Okay, I would ask that you call our office tomorrow and talk to us privately. Mm-hmm. Okay, girls, I've I've got a minute left here. Um, I want to thank everyone who called in. These stories are absolutely hair-raising. Peggy, I want to stay in touch with you and keep track of what's happening here. And we will be doing more shows on this, I guarantee you. Um, This thing of people having nowhere to go and no help, uh, we've got some help here. And maybe possibly some resolution. It's fighting these corrupt courts and these attorneys, because this is a hornet's nest. Um, Everyone, thank you for calling in and sharing your stories. Uh, We will be keeping up with you. Stay in touch with us. Peggy, thank you for coming back on again. And Betty, hi. You didn't speak tonight, but hello. And I will be in touch. Everybody, again, thank you for tuning in, and we appreciate it. Good night, everyone. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night.